Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth. I'm an intimacy coach and psychologist. I created this show to explore the erotic alphabet, to help you learn more about desire and expressing your desires, discover ways to spice up your relationship and create that sizzling relationship you've always wanted. I do this through solid science, real life stories and interviews with an exciting variety of sex experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create your ideal sexual life. Make sure you join us to access even more sexual strategies on my blog, A to Z of Sex. Access our monthly newsletter with subscriber-only offers at www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex. I'm Dr. Lori Beth. And I am your host. We're working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Today's letter is J, and J is for judging or slut shaming. It seems that all of our sexual behavior and sexual presentation is judged by everyone around us. Girls learn early on that being hot is important, but that there is a fine line between being seen as hot and being seen as a slut. Despite events like Slut Walk, which attempted to empower women through taking back the term, research highlights that women still cringe when they hear the term slut and still use it to describe their more sexually loose sisters. Today, I'm joined by Ariana Jure. As a senior editor for YourTango.com, she focuses on divorce, relationships, and healthy sexuality. She's passionate about connecting with readers, writers, experts, and anyone with an interest in real, raw conversations about love, sex, and life. Welcome. How are you? Thank you, Lori. I'm great. It's great to be here with you. So let's start out with what do you see slut shaming as? How do you see that play out? Oh, well, I see it play out all over the place, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's something, uh, I don't want to say it's only women to women, but I do think that it, it primarily is a female to female issue. Wow. Um, that's been my personal experience. I think with men, it's, it's more subtle. I think that they're intrigued by women and very interested and excited about women who are willing to just talk about sex and experience sex for what it is, but they get a little bit uh, um, conflicted about how they're supposed to see that or think about that, or maybe they have trouble not being aroused when it's just a friendly conversation. Mm -hmm. With women, I think it's very much, uh, it's it's self-judging for sexual Mm -hmm. behaviors or sexual thoughts or fantasies or ideas. Um, it's, It's shaming their friends who are more open than they are um, about their sexuality or their sexual choices, either more willing to post things publicly or, or sleeping with guys too soon or too many men or whatever it might be. Um, I think it's something that's just pervasive as far as the way that we see people in the media right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the Kardashians, you know, the being judged for when you pose naked um, in a way, I mean, you know, Justin Bieber, not that his, I think his weren't voluntary that he had, you know, his naked pictures out there, but, you know, in Orlando Bloom, like there's no kind of 
it's like the the curiosity factor about mm-hmm. you know, oh what size is it but it's not oh what a slut he was hanging out outside naked the way if pictures were captured of a woman mm-hmm. celebrity that would happen um and even in the election you know i, I saw um a post that really disturbed me the other day. It was a picture of Melania Trump in her um, new one of her nude photos, lined next to Michelle Obama and Jackie Kennedy Onassis and a few other of the former first ladies as a juxtaposition of how disgusting this choice is. Right, purely because of the fact that she posed nude at some point. So I, I just think it's it's um, all over the place right now. Unfortunately, as much as we're supposed to be more progressive. So how did that happen? I mean, I I agree with you. And I do see a lot of women sort of setting the tone for what is acceptable sexual behavior for other women. I think um, I see less of this in the LGBTQ community, a less overt slut shaming. Overt. I, I think there's still is that kind, there there are places where there's still a lot of covert stuff that goes on, but less overt slut shaming. Um, and there are certainly you know alternative communities where being a slut is considered a positive thing, and you know any kind of shame that goes on is consensual shame. But even there, which is always really interesting to me, you know that's an area where. Um, people who get involved in consensual humiliation, that's one of the first terms that gets raised as a term to use. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I mean, I think back to the 60s and 70s, and it doesn't feel like we've moved any further forward. You know, I feel like we have only in that, um, you know, a woman like me, for example, you know, I, I got divorced and I was a very um, private persona during my marriage because that was what my husband wanted. And, but I'm, I'm typically somebody with very few filters. Mm-hmm. And so I just started being more and more myself and putting things out there more and more and even just sharing memes that were kind of like, you know, dirty jokes and things like that on my site. And you know, today that gets laughed at and kind of like, you know, high fived. I have no idea what people are saying behind my back. Whereas if I was a divorced, you know, single mom in the fifties or sixties, not that there was social media, but if I was just sort of openly expressing, you know, foul language and giving dirty talk tips, I think that would have been yeah, no, that shunned. Would've, that would have been shunned. Far but, more. but I'm never sure. Yeah. But I, go ahead. I said, but I'm never, never sure. sure exactly how much we've moved in that I don't think my first observation of this really like my awareness of it was watching my first son going through preschool and watching as the kids were growing what was happening in the way that the girls and the boys were being disciplined about being affectionate towards each other mm-hmm. so the girls I was just so surprised to see that the girls were so much more aggressive than the boys and, you know, hug me and kiss me and play family with me. And, uh, you know, it, I remember this one little girl, you know, sort of, she was actually stronger than my son. She was a stronger kind of a bigger kid than mm-hmm. him developmentally, but she had fallen in the sand and saw an opportunity and reached out and said, oh, you know, help, could you help me up, you know, and ask for help to get up and, and all of that. 
And the girls were really reprimanded by the teachers and by parents for, um, you know, chasing the boys, so to speak, even at three and four years old. And they were being told, you're making the boys uncomfortable. The boys don't want that and, and give the boy his space. Wow. And not that that's not a good lesson, but the, the boy, you know, you have to learn body boundaries if he doesn't want it. But he, they weren't even paying attention to see if the boy was enjoying it, mm-hmm. you know, enjoying the place. Sometimes the boys said, let's go play family too. But the girls were told to stop making the boys play family. And that would continue through kindergarten. The girls were still, you know, be my boyfriend and, you know, I'm in love with you. And, and the teachers would take the girls aside and tell them to leave the boys alone. And finally, it would hit like five or six, fifth grade, I would say, where the boys started to notice the girls a little bit. And by that point, the girls have now been told for about nine years, don't chase the boys. It's wrong. Don't be affectionate. Don't, you know, you're being pushy. You're being too much. And now the boys are, are getting interested and the girls are like, wait, I'm not supposed to talk to you. I'm bad if I'm affectionate. And they've already internalized that confusion about wanting to express affection and being told you're too aggressive and too pushy if you do that. And I feel like that's, it's not slut shaming per se at that point, but I think it's that precipice before puberty where it kind of flows into that same idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it moves from there to that becomes seen, you know, being forward is, 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 is being seen. You're a slut if you, if you're forward. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like all the dating advice that's out there now is, you know, to the women, don't talk about sex too soon. Don't bring up, even, even in conversation, you shouldn't raise, you know, any, any conversations about sex because I think people are, you know, there's so much um, more mainstream interest in things that are what would be considered more alternative sexually and kink and, mm-hmm. you know, poly and swinging. I think those are things that people in their thirties, forties, fifties are all thinking about more than they would have in the fifties and sixties. So they start to ask each other questions about that as adults, but then the date, you know, the dating advice that's out there a lot, I, I feel is, you know, don't talk about that stuff. I, I, I mean, so for Women. me, how are you supposed to do that? You know, how are you supposed to create a relationship in which you might be able to find sexual satisfaction in the long term if you don't talk about sex? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. You know, it's like these, you know, the advice that you're not supposed to have sex until you're in a committed relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand if your ultimate goal is getting a man to marry you, right? Then I can understand that strategic position. I don't know that I think that that's a healthy goal or a healthy strategy because why now you're committed to somebody and then you find out you're totally sexually incompatible. Oops. Yeah, but see, we don't talk about that. That's like, you know, just raising the topic is, um, I had, I had, I was interviewed, I guess it was about 18 months ago by, um, Ferocia Knight, who's a, a really brilliant coach. And, and she interviewed me about my, my life history and how I ended up deciding to be an intimacy coach. And, um, I was talking about, um, my second marriage. And just said, look, we were completely, you know, we were completely sexually incompatible, completely. 
Um, and one of the problems at the beginning of relationship is it is that you can appear to be compatible because you're so into a person that you kind of you'll make concessions. They'll make concessions. You're not really talking about what you really like. You just if you manage to get together and get off, it's fine, right? Um, but you know, the conversations, we didn't really have enough of a conversation or deep enough conversation. And the conversations we did have, there was a lot of, I, I think he felt very much that he wanted not to be, he wanted to be in the relationship. So he just said what he was going to say. And I wanted a baby. So um, uh, that was kind of another influence. But it's really interesting. You know, you commit to somebody and you're completely incompatible. And then what? And what me leaving that for some people were like, that took a lot of courage. And it did because we have then had a child. So I spent a lot of energy on making sure that things would be right for the child. But there were other reasons I left, but that was one of the main reasons that I didn't want to even try and put things back together because there was nothing there. And I didn't want to spend the rest of my life until you know, I was already, um, um, let's see, I was 39 when my son was born, you know, so I didn't want to spend until I was 60 before I was ready to start contemplating something different um, or only contemplate um, a polyamorous relationship uh, that, you know, was going to take second place because that had been our agreement to, to a marriage where nothing was happening. I got ton of criticism off that. It was really interesting. It was one of the places where, where in the interview where people kind of sent back a couple of comments to me that I got back was like, so what? Right? So you were sexually yeah. incompatible. So what? Yeah. I think that's such a, a sad uh, way that things are happening in our society. And they have been, you know, I worked as a divorce mediator for seven years and Every single couple, I don't think that there was a, I don't think that there was an exception when we started talking and I would say, okay, tell me the basics of what happened at some point at the beginning of their story about why they were getting a divorce. They would say, well, we were in separate bedrooms. It's really embarrassing, but we were in separate bedrooms for three years, for two years, for five years, for however long it was. And I would say, don't feel embarrassed because everybody who is sitting in this office lived in separate bedrooms for some extended period of time and felt like that it was a shameful thing to consider not wanting to have sex with your spouse or not being able to have sex with your spouse for whatever the variety of reasons to consider that something worthy of potentially getting divorced. And it's not something that is talked about in any kind of premarital counseling. Are you sexually compatible? How are things going in the bedroom? That's not, it, it's something that I think that we assume either it's just not that important because passion ebbs and flows and you're not going to want each other that way forever anyway, or it's sex. What's so complicated? You're just going to make it work. You know, it's, it's not taken seriously as an area of compatibility. And, and I think that that is a huge shame. I think you're right. And yet when you, you know, we say we don't, they don't talk about it in premarital counseling much, but if you look at um, the rules for the Jewish religion, anybody who's religious knows that's a reason to end a marriage. 
Husband doesn't satisfy wife. Wife is allowed to end the marriage. It's one of the few acceptable reasons to ask for divorce. My ex-husband's a rabbi, so. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's, I'm aware. Yeah, so, you know. But it, that it was part of, part of my grounds. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it, yeah. That, that's one of the things that you're able to ask for. And you, so you know that. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that. And yet it's not covered in premarital counseling. And it's not considered this whole sort of idea that, it, it you know, you sh- it's not a big deal and you shouldn't want it so much, which goes back into then, if you want it, you're a slut. Yeah. If it's important to you, you're a slut. Yeah. And, yes. you know, how dare you walk out on a marriage because that's not working? And the majority of magazine articles that are out there, it's shifting finally a little bit. But at least for the period of time that I was married, you know, up until four years ago, the articles are, you know, what to do if your wife doesn't want to have sex or what to do if your husband wants to have sex and you're just, you're tired, you have the kids, you don't want to. And it was basically implying that all women, once they have kids, are too tired to want to have sex. So if you're a woman who has kids and you do want to have sex, are you hypersexual? Like, is what's wrong with you? that you want to have sex that badly that it actually matters to you if your husband isn't interested, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's the, the internal shaming that we do before you even, and then you don't even have the conversation. Right. Necessarily with a friend or a counselor or anybody else. Well, yeah. And then even, and I don't hmm? go ahead. Sorry. No, I don't. I'm, I'm, you know, I always would, would ask couples that I worked with if they had seen couples counselors, and then I would ask what they worked on in their couples counseling. And in general, sexual compatibility never came up in the couples counseling. There's one person I know, one man I know, whose wife was instructed to, they were supposed to go back home, and she was supposed to give him a blowjob every night for 30 days. Okay. And by their couple's counselor. And he was going to do what for her? I don't believe that that was oh. discussed. But she was the one who didn't have an, an interest in being sexual with him. And so she was supposed to, when he got home from work every day, she was supposed to give him a blowjob. And he wasn't even really that interested because he wanted to have sex with her, but he wanted it to be fulfilling sex. He wanted her to be interested. He didn't want her to be obligated Mm. to do it. So they, they did it for 30 days because that's what they were told to do. And he said that at the end of the 30 days, she looked at him and said, okay, are we good? And it, it was like, it totally, it just totally missed the point. point. And these were, yeah. Yeah. So there, there was no substantive conversation about what the sexuality and within the relationship means or the purpose it's fulfilling for each party nothing and then there there is the sense that if you know men are expected to get something out of this when sex happens men are expected to reach orgasm men Mm -hmm. are expected to chase women or men whatever their preference is um they're expected to not um be monogamous in nature You know, they're expected to always be looking and always be sexual and always want more. And women are expected not, you know, the women, the the expectation of women is that they will be 
Um, they'll take part in sex because um, they're obliged to do so. They'll have right. one partner. They won't necessarily rove. Certainly they won't rove because there's no sex in a relationship. Um, right. And if they feel any differently about it, then there's something wrong with them. Yes. Um, I remember listening to a fairly um, well, locally well-known psychologist talking about um, hypersexuality in women um, and saying, um, in talking about the reasons and, and, you know, one of the things that was mentioned was bipolar disorder because that can be actually a symptom of bipolar disorder. And so I was listening to this and asked the question, what is hypersexuality? Please define that. And right. it, it, she said, you know, somebody who is wanting to have sex every day. Oops. Yeah. Uh, you know, I first heard that term when I was dating somebody a few years ago. And he was about 10 years older than me. And, you know, here I was about 40, you know, and yeah, I think I had just turned 40. So I've always been somebody with a high sex drive, but now I'm at this point in my life where I'm you know, finding myself and I'm comfortable with myself and I'm confident and I'm not worried about my, my body in bed and I'm not worried about how I sound in bed. And none of those hangups that women have, you know, earlier. And um, so when I, I would, and I only have my, weekends off every other weekend to spend with him right. so when we would see each other maybe i'd want to have sex more than once over the course of the weekend yeah. you know and i don't remember how it came up in the conversation but at one point he said well you know you are hypersexual and i was like i'm gonna google that just to make sure because you know this isn't my area of, of expertise you know first for my my training in grad school right so i'm gonna look this up and it says it's it's equivalent to a sex addiction, and and you know and this is before I've really done the learning that I've done in the past several years about that issue, and and so I said to him, I, I sent him a message, and I said, did you realize when you said that I was hypersexual that that was the same thing as calling me a sex addict? And he said, yeah. I said, so really, you think that because maybe more than once a weekend I'd like to have sex. I'm addicted. Like I have, I, I need, like I, I'm craving my jonesing for it, you know? And it turned out, you know, I think he was feeling a little bit bad because his libido was dipping because he was in his, you know, fifties and he was feeling a little weird. Like, why am I not wanting this younger woman as often as I would have 10 years ago, you know? And so it was a way of him totally unconsciously using my sexuality to shame me out of something that he didn't want to take part in. Mm -hmm. I think and I know that that was totally not intended. He didn't know that's what he was doing, but it, it was the effect that he was trying to have. I, I do think that's probably pretty common. Um, yeah. That there's lots of that. And it's still a woman who is sexual is still considered threatening in some way, threatening to other women because she might try and take another woman's partner I was interested to find that that actually also happens within the lesbian community. It's not just oh. in a heterose with heterosexual women, you know, there's that same level of competitiveness. Um, 
and threatening to men because she wants she because she's sexual and she understands herself and that's supposedly something you know you're emasculating them right that's that's how it's right. which i found I fascinating. how can you be a slut and emasculating at the same time well because if you're in control of the situation at all if you're in control of your own sluttiness okay. and they're not choosing you to be slut, like they're not choosing for you to be slutty right. in their minds, you know? I mean, I think that, I think that men still have a lot of that conflict, the horror Madonna yeah. conflict, you know, do I, I want her to be really, really good in bed, but I don't really want to think that she thinks about sex all that much. Cause I don't want to think that she's dirty until I want her to be dirty with me for however much time. And then we you turn know, it off. It goes on a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. I turn it off. Yeah. I, and I, only ever about you, hmm? about you, that, that particular, and only ever about that particular man. Yes, of course. Not about anybody else. Although there, there is a fetish, you know, I mean, I think if you look in the fetish community, you will find that spread a little bit more because there is, you know, you know, there are people. The hot wife. Yeah, there are people who have fetishes yeah. about, you know, the, having a real slut who is somebody who desires everybody um, and right. either manipulating that slut or not manipulating that slut. But, you know, so there's there's fetish stuff with that. But in, in general, it's interesting, even where there is that in general, if that's seen in public outside of that setting, it's a problem. Yes. For sure. So you can't have the conversation sitting around a dinner table when people are talking about what would you like to do this weekend? Oh, yeah. I mean, how many people would share on their Facebook page that they happen to have a FetLife profile? You know, nobody will admit that to anybody. But most people I've ever brought it up with are like, oh, yeah, I have a profile, too. You know, but they don't. And nobody and then nobody says, well, what's your name? What's your name? Nobody ever shares anything. You know, it's it's this bizarre um, sort of fake openness, in a way. Yeah, well, it's it, yes, it, it, it's not congruent. Yes, which I have huge, yeah. and you know, it's it's not authentic. It's not congruent. I mean, and I, you know, I don't think that I need to be open to the world about every single thing that I do and I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. But I do think that if I'm having a conversation with people that I am supposedly close to about sex, then I should be able to be comfortable talking about sex. And I don't think that the fact that I think about sex more than, you know, once a month or once a week or whatever the, the amount that somebody thinks I'm supposed to think about it is, um, should be an issue. Right. Absolutely. Or that I should have yeah. to reclaim a term like slut in order to kind of say I have a right to my sexuality. Yeah. I have so much, uh, unresolved conflict about my feelings about slut, my feelings about MILF, you know, all of those words, whore, you know, the way that it's used in, in the kink community, you know, it's like, I understand the value of wanting to say it's my decision about how I'm using my body, mm -hmm. but I mean, this is an issue in many communities, but do you have to claim a derogatory term in order to do so? 
you know, that's it. There's a great website called Slutty Girl Problems. Mm-hmm. And um, the founder is this brilliant on the young side, you know, mid twenties, I think woman, uh, Lorraine Bradbury, who's built an amazing website, fantastic website. And it is very empowering. And every time I look at it, I'm conflicted mm-hmm. about the, the slutty girl part. Because does it mean you're a slutty? Because to me, I, you know, I think of the word slut as somebody who has no, no discretion and doesn't care who they're with. It's just, I mean, this, I guess the way that from, from my childhood, the way it was used, it's somebody who'll just sleep with anybody, you know, regardless of who it is. Mm-hmm. And so being a, a woman who enjoys sex and is willing to be free while she's having sex and try what she wants to do and explore what she wants to do doesn't mean she's willing to do that with anybody and at their whim and at their will. Mm-hmm. So that's not necessarily being a slut in the way that I would think of the term. Yep. You know, and uh, it's funny. I, I, when I wrote an article for good men project, I think a year ago, I don't remember what the particular conversation was, but I was, I was talking about how you shouldn't call somebody a slut for enjoying sex. And somebody posted, well, then when do I get, Oh no, no, this was actually about Kim Kardashian. No, you don't get to call her a slut just because she took some, naked pictures of herself, you know, and she decided to own her body that way as a businesswoman making a business choice, you know, strategic choice. And they said, well, then when do we get to call somebody a slut? Well, you don't. Why do you have to, like, why do I have to give you permission at some point to insult anybody? You know, it's well, such a strange I, I, human thing. It is. Well, I want to turn that around. It's like, what term do I use for you then? When do you get to call somebody a slut? Okay. Fine. We'll find a time you can do that. What term do I use for you to denigrate you for having a sex drive, for enjoying, for being comfortable with your body and enjoying your sexuality? Is there a term I call a man for, who, who does that? Right. And the silence would be deafening, right? Because there isn't one. Because right. that we call them a player and we think they're cool. Right. And actually, you know what, though, now the millennials are using this word fuckboy, right, mm-hmm. which I was told by somebody is actually a term that's used in jails and prisons for men who are raped by other men. Lovely. So it's particularly um, ugly. But I don't feel – so I don't think I'm empowered by a woman if I get to make up a nasty name for men to accompany the nasty name they call me. Oh no, but it's interesting to me though, that there isn't the term. It just highlights the, the, the different ways in which sex is viewed. Um, and, and really that this still remains quite a political issue despite loads of change. I mean, I think for me, the hardest part of this is that, I see countless people who don't have any idea what they desire yes, and have never actually prioritized figuring it out. And then the, the next set of people I see know what they desire, but don't know how the hell to get their desires met. You know, so it's like, I want to focus on that. That's what's important to me. I want them to know that they have 
a right to their sexuality, that they should enjoy their bodies, that, you know, that that doesn't necessarily mean sleeping with everybody they come across. But if that's their choice, I'm not going to judge them for that. Right. But the conversation always ends up being hijacked because there's so much shame already dumped on a young girl's head as she's coming up that that conversation never even comes into be. They Half of them don't even know where their parts are. He said, have you ever looked at your clitoris? No. What do you mean? Well, take a mirror. Well, I can't see it. Well, take a mirror. I mean, you know, and, and that scene right. is like something really controversial to say, you know, all you need is a hand mirror so you can actually see what you look like. Oh, I know what I look like. No, you don't. You only know the outside. Right. Most right. of your equipment is internal. Unlike men, men, it's easy. It's right out there. And it was, it's fascinating. Um, Bethany Vernon, I don't know if you know her. She's a, um, she, she makes jewelry, um, and sexual tools made out of expensive materials. So she makes sterling silver nipple clamps and, um, I, beautiful stuff, um, wow. silver and white gold and stuff and quite dear, but still beautiful stuff. But she made, um, a hand mirror that I got as a gift many, many years ago. Sterling silver hand mirror, the whole purpose of which is for you to be able to look at your pussy. That was the purpose, right? Wow. And wow. it was given to me by a lover, and I thought it was fantastic, right? What a wonderful thing to do. And my female friends had no idea what the hell this was. Why would, why would anybody make that? But also, why would anybody give it to you? So many of my female friends hadn't a clue. And to me, that was incredibly sad. And why would you want to look? And I remember the first time I ever tried shaving everything in that region, just be, you know, to, to give it a go. I was horrified when I looked in the mirror afterwards. I thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll look sexy like this. And I thought, that's what it looks like? Like, you know, it's, it's weird, <laughs> you know? And then... So I, I let everything grow back for the next, you know, probably six or seven years. But then, you know, later on, when I tried that again, it was like, no, like, what's, this is my body. This is a woman's body. This is what it looks like. But I will never forget that initial moment of looking in the mirror and just feeling the thought of gross. This is just gross. Well, and I'm bisexual. So my experience wasn't seeing myself. It was seeing another woman. Mm -hmm. And so um, I remember the first time I realized that we didn't all look the same. I remember the I, first, a, a man mentioned that at some point. And I was like, what? Yeah. I was so, I don't know why I found it so terribly shocking. I mean, I'm a bright woman. I was, I was uh, right. 18. Um, and I hadn't really put it together because I hadn't looked at myself much. So I'd seen other vaginas, but I never really looked at my own. So what did I know? Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, at nine, I realized that how different we were. And, and of course, our anatomy makes a difference between the ease of orgasm and all sorts of things. Um, and, I, and I was so shocked. But of course, men don't look the same either. So why should I be shocked? But it just highlights the fact that it's not something, I mean, because for men, it's all out there. They see, they compare. That's part of their 
their their sexual development girls don't do nearly as much as that they do some but they don't do nearly as much of that they did more years ago they do less now because the level of shame has gone up really i mean i you know to me that just emphasizes that because I had that same thought as you, and I've never had that conversation with another woman before. So this has fascinated me because I remember thinking that they would all, they all would just be the same. And the idea that one might be different, it had to do with the way a guy described me to me. And I was like, well, what do you mean? How would anybody else's be, you know? And, but nobody's nose is the same as anybody else's nose. Nobody's no. facial lips are the same. Your cheeks aren't the same. You're not one part of your body. So we, you know, for us to really just reduce ourselves to identical holes in that way, yep. that that part of you is just a hole. Yep. Well, and then, you know, one is our own objectification. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that we talked, that was talked about um, amongst this group of women I was speaking with was um, when you're naming parts with a, with a young child. Yes. No, usually that used to be skipped. This is your nose. These are your ears. These are your lips. And Peggy Orenstein said some, something similar in, in her most recent book, you know, not, not, and this is your, you know, your vulva, this is your clitoris. None of that, you know, none of that is named at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just skipped. Well, then what's the message that you give a child? If you skip body parts, there must be something wrong with them. There must be a reason we don't mention these. Um, right. And so if we don't actually educate around that and we don't encourage girls to explore themselves the same way as boys explore themselves, how are, mm -hmm. how are they going to know? Right. And the sad thing to me is that, you know, all of this comes from this, you know, institutional institutionalized attempt to protect marriage by saying you only get to ever experience any of this within marriage mm -hmm. and so if you do any of this exploring of yourself outside of that you're somehow threatening your chances to have this healthy marriage and yet you know here it is making monogamy and long-term relationships in general even more difficult than ever because we can't have these fulfilling relationships without knowing that that's something we should be looking for or knowing how we can be fulfilled or that it's okay to want to be. Yeah. Well, because the reality is, is that, that, that it comes back to the idea that if you want to be, then, then you are a slut and that that's just wrong. Right. Uh, and given that I work in, you know, online publications, I mean, I, I see this. One of the reasons I love your tango is that we're, we try more and more and more to get people to give these really just, raw, honest stories, but how many articles can I possibly read over the lifetime about dirty talk that say, you can say, ooh, baby, you make me hot. Or I want you to make love to me now. That's not dirty talk. You know, that's, those are fine things to say if that's what you want to say. But that's not dirty talk. But that's not dirty talk. No, dirty talk is like raw. Yeah. You know, you so we're yeah, we're dumbing it down there, too. Yeah. So how sick do you have to be, you internalize, if in bed you want to say, you know, fuck me or something along those lines when you've been told all you're supposed to say is, you know, make love to me, Wild Stallion. 
Ugh. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Exaggerated. Yeah, I just, I just find people shying away from that. Well, no, and I mean, I have clients who come in and, you know, you, 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 and one of the things that I'll be talking with them about is, um, okay, so let's talk about how you communicate about this. And, you know, oftentimes I'm met with like complete silence and you discover that they're not communicating and that they communicate by moaning a little more or, you know, this is like move a little to yeah. the left is, uh, you know, it's like nothing. Yeah. So to try and get them to start talking to each other and how hard that is and how ashamed they are just to say, fuck. Yeah. You know, and to actually, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of stuff out right now about how horrible porn is and how damaging and devastating porn is. Um, and I have to say that I don't agree. Um, I, don't I think there's a play there's some porn is horrible. Okay, some porn is. Um, and some porn is actually quite good. There's some women-made porn that's that's quite fantastic. Um, but there's a there's a place for pornography in terms of helping people kind of desensitize a little to be able to talk. To well, you know, for me, the way I look at it, it's like the you know, film genres in general, mm -hmm. right? Like so I remember this movie when I was a kid, The Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. It's like not even <laughs> yeah. a B or C movie, right? It's like one of those horrible, horrible, yeah. horrible movies. And I loved that as a kid. But you might think that that's terrible or that it's trash. You know, you might think that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures is just the worst piece of film ever made. And there are mo movies that are seriously disturbing and awful and that I do think um, – not that they shouldn't be made, but I would certainly never want to subject myself to sitting through it and watching it. Yep. So same thing. If there's some fetish porn that you find offensive or objectionable, don't watch it. Yeah. Like for me, for me, I find the feminist porn, you know, the more like made for women yep. by women porn, it bores me. You know, I, if I'm going to watch porn, I like, rougher like kinkier porn and i like women being sort of overtaken dominated by men because as far as my viewing that's what i find you know arousing and stimulating does that mean that i'm not a feminist or like i God, no. somehow am like a self-loathing woman or, or whatever like that's where we put like just because i liked i haven't actually seen it but let's say i liked batman versus superman does that make me a stupid person or a bad person for liking a movie that most people don't like or would only admit that they secretly like? You know, we put so much weight on it just and just because it's sex. Well, and the thing is, is that is that unfortunately, what what this this one is even more sinister because what it'll be is, well, if you actually like watching that, then that must mean that you definitely like doing that and you wouldn't mind if some total stranger came and tried to dominate you and so that we say to rape and sexual assault victims well because you liked watching that you were inviting this or because something turned you on there well of course this must have been okay with you i mean it it's it, it gets or you even might say to a woman like me who you know fortunately I've had plenty of harassment over my life, but I've never been you know, sexually assaulted. Um, 
you are to blame for yeah, these for women having been raped because you consume that, that pornography, pornography. Yeah. which is such rubbish. And it exists. Yeah. yeah. And so therefore you slut. Yeah. Caused this innocent maiden. Yeah. Which is just such bullshit. To be slutified. Yeah, no, it's completely bullshit. But I mean, I, I think it's complex. It's definitely complex. There's, there's room for looking at more of this. So um, tell the people who are listening where they can find you if they want to continue the conversation. Well, I am a uh, editor at yourtango.com. So I have articles on there regularly. Just go to yourtango.com and you can do a search for Ariana Jarrett, but there is plenty of phenomenal content there, even if you're not looking for me specifically. And Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee has some phenomenal articles on yourtango.com. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant platform. Um, I love it. So do I. It's uh, there's just so much variety and I can't recommend it enough because there is so much variety. There really is something for everybody. Um, so it's, it's, um, and I have to just say, I, I know you're wrapping up, but part of the reason I think that the conversation on the site is as real as it is, is because the editors, we amongst ourselves, we have all of these conversations yeah. Yeah. throughout the day. Yeah. And we're constantly learning and exploring and women need to do that with each other. Yeah, no. And I think that's really important. And it's, it's something that I would encourage people to do. Um, and in fact, if you are interested in continuing on this conversation, do drop me a line at Dr. Lori Beth at a to Z of sex.com. That's a T O Z or Z O F S E X.com. I'd like to thank you for joining me this week for the a to Z of sex. Please write in with your questions at Dr. Lori Beth at a to Z of sex.com and visit both websites, www.a to Z of sex.com and www. The intimacy That's the dash intimacy dash coach.com to learn about alternative sexual choices, types of sexual relationships, and to learn to sizzle and create that ideal lasting intimate relationship. For a free 30-minute session with me, head over to the A to Z of sex.com and click the button that says book now. Thank you, and Ariana Jarrett, for being with me. And thank, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you all for listening. I hope you will join me again next week when we will be doing the letter K, which is for kink. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes and make sure you head over to www.atozofsex.com. That's A T O Z O F S E X to subscribe to my free newsletter to help you keep your sex life sizzling. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes as we work our way through the sexual alphabet to discover the wide world of sex, sexuality, desire, and intimacy. Knowledge gives you the power to create relationships that bring you satisfaction and joy. Hope to see you next week.